What a great joy and a reminder of what generosity can do because there is no lack of things to spend our money on in this world, correct? And I want to rejoice in your generosity because there are plenty of things that you could have bought for yourself or invested in for yourself, but you gave. And then and as a church, as elders, we said, hey, there's plenty of things that we could do here for us, but we're part of a broader body, a bigger family that just here. And so... We just want to celebrate and say thank you so much for being a difference maker in people's lives that you'll likely never meet until heaven. But it's a reflection that we get to participate in the kingdom of God and what he is doing beyond what we get to see and know ourselves. So uh, we rejoice in that. And it reminds us what we're looking at in Nehemiah. We We built, uh, in Bill's language, we bought a church. We built a building. But the point is, the building, it's it's the people. It's the people that will be blessed and be ministered to. It's the people that will come to faith in Christ. It's the people who will not spend eternity apart from God, but spend eternity with God. It's the difference that we get to make in Christ people's lives. And that's what this pile of rubble is about as we've been going through Nehemiah. It's about asking who, not necessarily what, but who are you going to make a difference in the life of? Who is it, whether it's where you work or right next door on your street, or maybe it's on the other side of the globe, who is it that you're going to make a difference for in this life. And and this rubble just is a reminder of some of you said, I want to be a difference maker for the unreached like we just talked about. Some of I want to be a difference maker for those who are addicted and enslaved to sin. I want to be a difference maker for those who are lonely, those who feel abandoned. I want to be a difference maker for the unborn. See, it's not about stuff. It's not about materials. It's not about a Nehemiah walls and gates. It's about people and the Lord using us to be difference makers in people's life. So would you bow with me? We just prayed for that church. I want us to ask the Lord right now, Ask the Lord to speak to us about being difference makers in this world in our lifetime. All right, so bow with me. Father, as we again look at the scriptures, our request is that that you, by your spirit, would speak to our hearts. I know some are still wrestling with what is it that breaks their heart, that breaks your heart. Still asking the question, who, Lord, who do you want me to invest in? Who do you want me to help? Others are clear, Lord, and waiting upon you, praying and fasting. Others are started and wondering if they're making a difference. So, Lord, would you speak to us this morning through your word that this church would continue to be your instrument for making a difference, for restoring those who are broken and burned in this world. 
that we would make a difference for the lost in this community, for the lonely, for the abandoned, for those who desperately need you, Lord. Would you use us and would you speak to us in a manner that would encourage us and mobilize us for your work in us and through us. And we ask it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, and let me invite you to open to Nehemiah 4, because that's what we're going to begin. We're going to spend a number of weeks in Nehemiah 4, because in this time, Nehemiah has begun the work. He has cast the vision to rebuild the walls, and the people have said, let us arise and build. And so they have begun to restore the walls and to restore the gates. They've started to make a difference. But as they have done that, there has been increasing resistance. And so what we're going to learn this morning is this. When you seek to do what we just prayed, when you seek to be a difference maker, there are going to be words that you hear that are going to seek to stop you, discourage you, demoralize you. You're going to hear words that are going to say, is this really worth it? Can I ever make a difference? And either those words are going to shut us down and we're going to shrink back or we're going to learn how to respond to words that are attempted to, to stop us from being a difference maker. The, the words that are going to attempt to stop us are relayed in the first couple verses of Nehemiah 4. Uh, it says this, now it came about that when Samuel had heard that we were rebuilding the wall, the work has begun, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. The, the mocking is intended to get them to do what? To stop trying to be difference makers. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers, the wealthy men of Samaria, and said, here's the words that will potentially cause us to stop. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? What's he saying? He's saying, that work that you're trying to do, that is too big. Really? You're going you're gonna to restore a two and a half mile wall that's 39 feet high and eight feet wide, that is too big. And too hard. You're going to revive broken and burned stones. And it's going to take way too long. And he has a buddy. Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and he said, even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, he'd break their stone wall down. It's too big, it's too hard, it'll take too long, and what else? It won't last. It won't last. 
Words like that are intended to stop people like you in making a difference. It's to go, really? Are you going to reach the unreached? Like all two billion of them? That's too, that's too big. You're really going to shut down abortion in our world? Too big. Too hard. An addiction? I mean, look at it, folks. You can try to help people who are addicted, but the point is they're addicted. They might pause for a bit, but they're just going to go back. It won't. It won't. It won't last. You see, you can try to make a difference, but really, that's just too big, too hard, take too long, won't last. Words intended to what? Stop. But it wasn't just about the size of the work. What did he call them? What are these feeble (laughs) words intended to make you stop are about you? You're, You're too small. Who are you? And you are too weak. Too small, too weak for something that is too big, too hard, will take too long, and won't last. Therefore, what? Why try? Don't try. If you are trying, just quit. See, some things, some things don't ever change. Like Nehemiah wanted to make a difference, like the Jews wanted to make a difference, not because they were like, hey, we need better walls, because they wanted to help people, like you want to help people, and you have that in your heart, and maybe during this time, that that flame has started to burn a little brighter, a little hotter of, man, I really do want to make a difference. God has made me to make a difference. But then you hear these words. That's too big, too hard, too long, won't last. Who are you? You are too weak, too feeble. Why try? Don't try, just quit. So question, who in here would admit you've had a desire to make a difference, but either because it was too big, too hard, too long, wouldn't last, or you felt too weak or too small, you didn't try, or you did try, but then you quit. How many of you would go, those words of, all right. Uh, okay, just a second. You see, you see how effective, we're not just reading about, oh, a little, huh, my, my stick to stones, my name and break. We're not, we're talking about that, nah, nah, nah. We're, we're, we're talking about real words that make people stop. The vast majority of us, and those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're like, either you're not a hand raiser or you're like, I can't think that fast. <laughs> I can't think of it. But most of us go, yeah, I have shrunk back from something that I knew God put in my heart. So, so why do these words work 
so effectively, because we just had demonstration. I couldn't see in North, but I imagine in North it was the same. It's about 80, 90% of the people in here raised their hand. Why so effective? Why do they work? Well, in Nehemiah, they came from others. But for us, oftentimes we don't need other people saying to them. We say them to our, ourselves. Maybe it's coming from without. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling that's going, what are you trying to do? Really? Come on. Who do you think you are? But most of that usually comes from in. Okay, another question. How many of you who raised your hands would say, yeah, I stopped because I told those things to myself? All right. You didn't need, you didn't need a sand ballad in your life. You were. It's a reminder, sometimes we are our worst enemy. God puts something in our heart and we talk ourselves out of it. Too big, too hard, too long. Won't last, I'm too small, too weak. Why try, don't try, just quit. So they work because we believe them. Why do we believe them? Here's why they really work. And maybe this will shock you. They work because they're the truth. That's why they work. See, you think I'm going to say, oh, they work, but you're believing lies. No, they work because they're true. I mean, really, is this just too stinking big? Two billion people just quit. Abortion, it's just going to keep rolling. Legal, illegal, it's just going to keep rolling. Why try? You're too small. I mean, really. Do we have any Supreme Court justice in the room? Yeah, I didn't think so. There we go. Too weak, too small. You understand what I'm saying? They work because they're true. And we will never be difference makers when we try to say that true things aren't true. I watch it happen all the time. Uh, I'm watching this gal who's just overwhelmed with her reality in her life and she's just going, I can't take it. And another gal comes along beside her and goes, no, you can, you're strong. And I'm thinking, I didn't blow up the moment, but what I'm thinking is, don't lie to her. That's not gonna help. She's actually speaking the truth. She is too weak. And what she's fighting is too hard. Don't try to minimize stuff that's true and don't try to fight truth by calling it lies. It's true. So what do you do? Well, just do your best. No. Great works need greater words. What am I saying? I'm saying there are words, true words, that stop good works. But there are greater words that will cause us to continue. Yes, they are true. But there is 
greater truth that we need to hear in these moments. So we're going to step out of what Nehemiah says. We're going to come back to what Nehemiah says next week because we're going to see what he says and going to ask a very important question. Is he allowed to say that? Because what Nehemiah says to their mockery may cause you to go, whoa, I thought this guy was a good guy. Or some of you will go, now there's my man. I like what he said to him. Now you're curious what he said, but don't look, which is the ensure that you're going to now look. But you can <clears throat> look next week, all right? <clears throat> We're going to look at what Scripture says we deal what we do when when. We know God has put something in our heart and we hear true words that it's too big, too hard, take too long, won't last, we're too weak, too small, that will tempt us. What do we say to those things? So here's some greater words. And I want to invite you to turn to these passages with me. We're going to look at two truths and then two examples of that truth. First, turn to Ephesians where we used to be last year. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 where it says in verse 10 this, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are, <clears throat> next word, his workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Next word. For good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See, maybe you don't catch what I'm saying here, but there are greater words that will keep us being difference makers when true words would cause us to stop. The greater words are this. You were created if you are where? In Christ Jesus, if you are created in Christ Jesus, then you were actually created for these good works. And you didn't come up with them. Who prepared them? God has prepared them for you. God made you for them, and God has prepared them for you. You see, what am I doing? I'm getting the emphasis off of me and what God has done in me and what God intends to do through me. You see, I don't say to somebody who's going, ah, it's just too big, I'm too small, I'm too weak. I don't go, no, 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 you're good. I go, no, God has made you for this. God has made you in Christ Jesus. You have been born again for this. God has prepared you beforehand for this. The greater words that will cause us to do the Good works that we have been created for are this. I am restored to right relationship with God 
It has been done by Jesus. It's not something that I've done for myself. It's been done for me by Jesus. And it has been done for good works. See, at the heart of the gospel is what God has done in order to what God would do through me. And it's so easily turned around. We think, oh no, I need to do good works to be restored to right relationship with God. But I don't need to do good works to be restored to right relationship with God. God has restored me by Jesus to right relationship with him so that I would do good works. How many people look at what it means to be a Christian and they go, oh, I could never do that. And I go, I agree. You can't. That's why Christ has done it for you. So that then, because you're restored to right relationship with God, you can live for good works. You were born again for this. It's what God has done and is doing. Second, Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As you turn there, this section in the gospel of John is the section, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those five chapters take place with Jesus, with his disciples, in an upper room the night before he is crucified. It's where what some of you would know to be called the Last Supper takes place. He is celebrating Passover, the Jewish feast that remembers God delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt through the death of a lamb. And so that the death passed over their house every year they would remember in Passover, how God set them free from slavery in Egypt. So Jesus and his disciples who are Jewish are celebrating Passover together in this upper room. He knows, they don't, he knows that he is going to be arrested that night and crucified the next day. He knows that he will not only be crucified, he'll be buried and raised from the dead. They don't know any of that. But in these five chapters, he is attempting to prepare them for this new reality of being followers of Jesus with him no longer present with them. That's all they had ever known. And his basic message to them is this. I'm leaving, but you're not. But you are going to continue to do what I did. And they think, impossible. So he says to them, in John 14, your turn there, in preparing them to get ready for this new reality, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, who's he saying this to? The 11. Judas has already left the premises. He has already gone to get those who would share in his betrayal. He who believes in me, 
And you should ask yourself right now in this moment, does that include me? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he took the penalty for your sin? That he paid your price? That you cannot be saved according to your good works? You can only be saved by what he has done for you, by his death, burial, resurrection. Do you believe in Jesus? It makes a difference how we read the rest of this verse. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And then it's almost like he goes, no, scratch that. (laughs) And greater works than these he will do. Now, if you're sitting there with Jesus and you've seen all that he's done and he says to you, I'm leaving, but you're not, but you're going to do greater things. What are you thinking? Come on, Jesus. Just stop trying to make us feel better. Because that then, and mostly not now, are we prone to believe John 14, 12. Most of us would go, if I could do 7% of what Jesus did, that would be like home run. What's this greater stuff? And then he goes, because I go to the Father. In other words, the very thing that troubled them, the very thing that they were like, no, please don't. Don't go. Don't leave. That's bad. It's the very reason that he gives for while they'll do greater. Because he's leaving. And his point is simply this. When I go to the Father, here's what's going to happen. Tell you the truth. Same conversation, same place, upper room. Because I, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, that I go to the Father. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is the helper? The third person of the Godhead, that God would not only now just be with you as I have been with you, he will now be in you. God himself and in the third person of the triune God, God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit will be in you. That's why you will do greater. Because as I was abiding in the Father and the Father in me and he did his works through me, now you will abide in me as I abide in you as the Holy Spirit is in and you will do greater. You will do greater because the impossible, which we think, do greater. The impossible is possible. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, God himself, will now indwell me. This is why, as a person who is not restored to right relationship with God, can look at the Christian life and go, I could never do that. Agree with them. You're exactly right. You can't until you're restored to right relationship with God. Then you can walk in the good works that he has prepared beforehand because he has not only prepared them beforehand for you, he is equipping you for them by giving you himself. And it doesn't stop there. 
Because I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come. And therefore, Hebrews 7.25, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, it's, it's not just that if I go, the Holy Spirit will come. It's if I go, the Holy Spirit will come and I will be with the Father at the right hand of the Father doing what? Interceding for me. This is why the overwhelming theme, themes of the upper room of John 13 through 17, the overwhelming themes are this, the Holy Spirit and prayer. Why he repeatedly says to them, up to now you have not asked me anything in my name. Ask whatever you will in my name and I will do it. You're going to do greater things if you believe in me because the Holy Spirit's going to indwell you and I will be at the right hand of the Father prepared to intercede for answering whatever prayer that you would have in my name. Not whatever prayer you have in your name, but whatever prayer you have in his name. In other words, whatever prayer you have in line with his will and purposes, he will work in and through. I go to the Father. That is why too big, too hard, too long, too weak, too small doesn't stop us. Oh, if it's just me, why try, don't cry, just quit if it's just me. But if the Holy Spirit is indwelling me, if God himself is indwelling me, do try, don't quit. And if Jesus himself is praying on my behalf, answering prayers, in this regard for restoring the broken and the burned, do try, don't quit. See, we need greater words. Words that I've been restored to right relationship for God, with God for this. I've been born again for this. Words like God himself is working in me and God himself is working through me. That is why Paul writes in Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us. And the answer to that is, well, lots of people. (laughs) Just none greater than the one who is for us. See, we don't fight truth by calling it lies. We fight truth with greater truth. We fight the truth of our weakness and the size of the task with a greater truth, the greatness of our greater God. And who we have been reborn to be partakers of the divine nature, God himself working in and through you. So God has made you friends, church. We're here to restore the broken and burn. It is big. It is hard. It will take a long time and people will fall away. And you will feel weak because you are weak and you will feel small because you are small, (laughs) but God is greater. And God has prepared beforehand that he would be the restorer and the healer and the redeemer 
that he would make all things new and that we would be his body, that we, the church, would be the body of Christ to be the instruments through which more people would find life in Jesus. Two examples. I'm going to look real quickly at one in Exodus chapter 3. And then one back in the New Testament. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. And about a month, Jonathan Monk's going to unpack this passage uh, very specifically. But I want us to look at this real quickly as these two truths played out. Turn to Exodus 3. The context is this. The people of God are enslaved in Egypt. Moses is a man who God has raised up. He had lived for 40 years growing up in Egypt, the greatest nation on the planet at the time. He had been trained in royalty in the palace as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And at 40 years old, he had tried to make a bold move to lead his people. He realized that the Egyptians are not my people. The Jews are my people. He tried to make a bold move to say that he was on the Jewish side. It had blown up in his face and he had run for his life. And now for the last 40 years, he's been watching sheep in the desert. And as an 80-year-old man, God shows up to him, speaks to him through a burning bush. And he says to him, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. And I want you to tell the greatest, the most powerful man on the planet to let all of his slaves go just like that and let them leave the country. Now, if you have any concept of ability to put yourself in, in that environment with that calling, what do you think? Too big, too hard, too weak, too small. Not trying that one. Tried that one, didn't work. Back when I was young, I tried that. Didn't work. So God says to him, go. And Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Two weeks, two weeks. He says it. He didn't need a sand ballot. He was sand ballot. He says it. And the Lord says, next verse, verse 12. God said, certainly you've been trained in Egypt and have acquired the skills necessary to lead my people out of Egypt. No. So I want you to turn. If you don't realize that, that's not what verse 12 says. That's what we would say to Moses. And that's what I want to say. Stop saying that junk. No, no, no. You can. You, you got it. You're good. God doesn't say, no, you, you're trained. You can do this. What's he say? What's verse 12 really say? Do you have it? Who, who's he point to? himself. And he said, certainly I will be with you. Pharaoh is great. I'm, I'm greater. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. You're too small. You're too weak. It's too big. Except I will be with you. And, and this shall be the sign 
to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. In other words, there's going to be a time we're going to have this conversation and you're going to go, all right, Lord, you were right. And it wasn't because of who I am. It was because of who you are and what you said you were going to do. What you have prepared beforehand. God does not disagree with my inadequacy, but he promises me. See, he doesn't disagree. We, we need to stop disagreeing with the truth about ourselves and believe a greater truth. What's the greater truth? His presence and his enablement. That he will do it. His presence and his enablement. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he who has called you and he will bring it to pass. Who will? He will. Who called you? He did. Not because you were adequate. Because he's greater. So don't let true words, they're true words, don't let true words stop you. Let greater words cause you to continue. With his, the greater words of his presence and his enablement. All right, turn with me now to Matthew. Matthew 14. Jesus has been teaching and thousands of people have gathered to hear him. And he's taught all day. And after he's finished teaching all day, he says this, verse 15. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, so this, the disciples first to him, this place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, the conversation, send them away. No, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have, on, we have here only five loaves and two fish. So he says to them, well, go find some more food and then don't come back until you do. <laughs> no, again, that's what we'd say. Well, that's a good start, but we need lots more. Come on, we can't, that's not enough. What's he say? What's 18 really say? It's, it's crucial. What's it really say? Say it. Bring them here to me. Like the five loaves and two fish? What, you want a snack while we look for more food? No, bring them here to me. Why? Because when it comes to this, of being really a difference maker, are we capable? 
No, as long as we think we are, we'll never be able to be God's instrument. See, the feeding of 5,000 here is not just a moment where Jesus shows how great he is. He shows what it means to be used by the Lord. And what's it mean to be used by the Lord for the restoring of the broken and burned? It's not about being capable. It's about being, being what? Available. Bring it here to me. Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say that I am capable. It's not what he says of this. Well, you're capable. You have what it takes. You feed him. He doesn't say you feed him because you have enough food. He says, be available. Offer yourself to me. Bring yourself to me. You see, we don't, we don't go after the abandoned and the addicted because we're capable. We give ourselves to the Lord. Because he can, he can show himself strong on behalf of the available. And it actually, it's our belief and our capability that will often keep us from being used by the Lord. So it's always about what God has done for us in Christ. Watch, listen. And what God is doing through us in Christ. So I want us to, to remember not where we're strong, but where we are weak and how God has shown himself strong and capable in our inadequacy. By going back to where Jesus taught the disciples the Lord's Supper and remembering that it's his life, not ours. So guys, come forward and we don't have the little, the little cups with the cellophane and the foil this morning. We actually have unleavened, broken bread for you to take and then a, a cup. So if you would take one as they pass and maybe somebody could give me one. Okay, thanks. Thanks. I just need a... Thanks, Mike. All right. I know the guy, I know there's going to be a moment where you're going to be a little distracted when the elements are right in front of you. Until that, until that, just that moment, here's what I want us to focus on. Read this out loud with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, we we go here first to remember that it's what Christ has done that has restored me to right relationship with him. And that when that happened, I was crucified with Christ. I died. 
His death was sufficient payment for the penalty for my sin. I'm crucified with Christ. And because that, here's my new reality. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. All that he is now dwells in me. I'm in Christ. And the life I now live, how do I live? By faith. In other words, not just believing what I see, what I know about me, but by faith, believing there is something greater than me, Christ living in me, doing something far greater than I could ever do because he prepared it beforehand. I live by faith. So I want to invite you, if you took notes this morning, you wrote down some truths. They are truths that we either live by faith or we just write down. And so I'm going to invite you to say them aloud with me, not just to read along, but to be declarations of faith that you would, Galatians 2.20, that you would live by. The greater words of faith. Say these with me. First, I am restored to right relationship with God by Jesus for good works. You believe that? Say it with me. The impossible is possible because the Holy Spirit indwells me and Jesus intercedes for me. Believe that. Say it with me. God does not disagree with my inadequacy, but he promises me his presence and enablement. I am too small, too weak but he will always be more than enough. Say it with me. Jesus does not say, I am capable. He says, be available. These are the reminder that Jesus said to the Father, I'm available. Even to the point of death on a cross so that the broken and the burned would be restored. Us. Because the cross is about people. Separated from God to be restored to right relationship with God. And when we take this together, you know what we're doing? We're remembering, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we remember his death and we remember his life. Because the life he lived qualified him for the death he died. And the death he died qualifies you to live the life he lived. Greater works. Let's take in remembrance of him.
Would you stand with me? And let's make this our prayer.